Please leave a message after the tone. I am loving hearing people's stories. Jen's story most recently was so impactful. I loved hearing from Jim Thunder, his perspective and Wendy's perspective. And I just love hearing Melvina really go deep with people. It's been really wonderful. Keep it up. Reconciliation. What does this mean to you? This is the Journey with Care podcast, where we navigate honest conversations about faith, culture, and loving our neighbors. I am the host, Melvina Gabosh, and I am an Indigenous lover of Jesus. Welcome back to another episode of Journey with Care with Melvina Gabosh. For the first time, I've invited uh, my friend, Marianne Funk, into um, my space, my living room. She's across the couch from me. (laughs) She looks very comfortable over there. I wish you guys could see her and her beautiful face. I invited Marianne to come on to Journey with Care and just have a conversation with me, talk with me and just, you know, talk about the goodness of God. We've had many awesome conversations together. Um, Marianne, I met her about three years ago when I joined Inner City Youth Alive. She was at LBE. Um, She was in ministry, woman ministry, there for a while. And I was able to meet with her and connect with her and learn from her and just, yeah, just taken, you know, what it is to be a missionary, what it is to work in the inner city. So I just wanted her to come on and just share her heart and what God is doing in her life. Hi, Marianne. Hello. Thank you for having me. (laughs) You're welcome. Thank you for coming. Yeah, this is exciting. It's a very (laughs) lovely living room. Thank you. (laughs) Okay. Um, So why don't you tell us a little bit about yourself? All right. Well, my name is Marianne, and I recently got married. Yes, congratulations. Officially two months ago wow. today. Yeah, wow. And uh, I was in ministry, as you said, for over 12 years at Living Bible Explorers and still volunteer with them, as well as I moved to Ontario right in the middle of the pandemic to kind of escape <laughs> from the chaos. And I really enjoyed living in Sioux Lookout, like living around a lake and going kayaking a lot. So I really enjoy the nature and feel the goodness of God in nature a lot and feel close to Him. Yeah, that's a a little, little bit about me. So how long have you been in ministry? Well, I guess for, I mean, most of my career life in, in that sense, like I went to Bible college almost after high school. And I went and got my ECE, like early childhood education degree, thinking I would go into childcare. And I moved back to Winnipeg. I took that in BC. And when I was working in a daycare, doing what, you know, ECE workers do, my license never got passed by Manitoba. They said they didn't recognize my education from BC and I would have to do a whole year upgrading. I was like, "Uh, no, thank you. And the Lord reminded me, Marianne, I didn't call you into childcare. Mm. I called you into children's ministry. Wow. And it was a shift in my heart, and I had to really process, what does that look like, Lord? Like, what does that mean? And, you know, I just waited on the Lord's timing, and I was able to get an internship in California at the Dream Center for a one-year internship with Metro Kids, which is like an inner-city kids ministry. And honestly, I learned so much 
they pushed me a lot. I mean, I was really young. I was like open to what God wanted to do. And I just loved it. I really like blossomed and they really saw leadership in me and pushed me. Um, before I had left for California, I was already volunteering with LBE. So they were really sad to see me go. And, you know, George at the time was like, we'll never see you again. You'll probably get married in California. <laughs> but, you know, the Lord works in mysterious ways because, nope, did not do that. They did offer me a full-time position there. With in California? Which, yeah. Mm-hmm. And I was torn because, you know, living by the beach in the warm, <laughs> sunny California. But the Lord was tapping on my heart, you know, to actually, I kept thinking about living Bible Explorers. Mm. And I'm like, God, no, I love California. I want to stay here. You know, I love these kids. I was working with a lot of Spanish culture and like it was so multicultural in California with the youth we were working with. You know, and back in Winnipeg, I was mostly primarily working with First Nation children and youth. And I found it harder to connect at the time when I was volunteering. So I was like, I don't know about this. But the Lord did not remove that from my heart. And I just did not have peace until I called LBE and asked about a job position. And the lady I talked to was like, we've been praying for a children's program coordinator for a long time. You're the answer to our prayers. And Wow. I mean, I don't think I even really had an official interview. <laughs> <laughs> they just took you. <laughs> they just took me. And there I was for over 10 years. Yeah. Yeah, loving it. I love Living Bible Explorers, LBE. I used to sit on the board of LBE, but not only did I sit on the board, God brought me full circle. I used to attend LBE. Wow. Yeah. So when I was in grade eight and grade nine, living in the inner city there, I would go to LBE for lunch pretty much every day. That's amazing. <laughs> yeah. So I was I was there a lot and and yeah, the word of God was spoken to me, just the love the love of God, even, you know, the grace of God and compassion and you know, with the workers and, and the missionaries that were there and and yeah, so when I became a missionary myself twenty years later. God brought me back there to sit on the board for a little bit. So that's where I kind of met you. (laughs) Yeah. I'm so thankful for that. Yeah. Yeah. So working in the inner city, you had mentioned that you work with primarily a lot of First Nations Mm -hmm. um, children. Uh, One of the questions that we do ask on Journey with Care is, what does reconciliation mean to you? Reconciliation, I think, is restorative work that God does in the heart of mankind. You know, I mean, reconciliation is not Right now, it's between Canada and our First Nations people. You know, that's our primary focus. But first and foremost, reconciliation was between God and His people, right? We're broken people, and God called us to be His people. Yes. And in in Canada, we have firsthand vision of what that looks like. Just the restoring of what was taken, stolen, and recognizing that people had value and value was misrepresented or taken away. And we need to restore that value to people and to culture and to our differences. Our differences don't make us bad. We're all created so differently. God said that every part of the body is different, but yet it harmonizes and works together. And no part of the body is less valuable than another part We need each other for the whole kingdom of God. Amen. 
Mm-hmm. <laughs> I love asking that question because everyone that answers that question has such a different you know, view or perspective of what reconciliation is, but it always comes back to being reconciled with Christ, right? Mm, yeah. And I just love hearing, you know, everyone's interpretation of what reconciliation means to them, you know, because, you know, when we're called into the kingdom of God, we're first reconciled back to Christ right. and then we're reconciled back to one another. And so that's a journey, right? That's mm-hmm. a process. Yeah. Reconciliation is, is a, is a big thing. You know, sometimes you, you think that it's just being thrown around right now. That word right. is being thrown around. But when it's a heart posture, like you said, when it when it starts in the heart, when it begins in the heart, then it's not just a word. Yeah. It's it's the way that we live. Exactly. Yeah, it's, it's a lifestyle. Way, yes, it's a lifestyle, right? Yeah. So during your time at LBE in the missionary field, how were you able to see and witness that reconciliation was happening within the community and the, the ministry that you were called to? The Biggest thing that I can see and for me made an impact too is relationship. I mean, relationship is reconciliation because it shows that you care enough about a person to have invested time, effort, money, resources into them. And then you build a relationship through that investment. And that has always shone through LBE. We did home visits every week in the minus 35 weather (laughs) when I could not feel my toes, you know, and I always got to go to the Westin community and through my time there, you know, at first it was hard because these parents didn't know who I was. I'm a white woman representing Jesus who they've experienced, you know, brokenness through. And so it took time and consistently showing up. And just kindness, right? Love prevails. And so I just kept showing up and, you know, over going to the same houses for so many years, they've become like family. And I would, you know, what started with like a two to three minute visit ended up being like 45 minutes to an hour. And everyone's like, Marianne, why do you take so long on your visits? It's not visits just to send a flyer and say, hey, are you coming to program tomorrow? No, it's my family. It's going to visit my family. It's going to visit and invest in relationship and pray and hear what's going on in their homes and their families. And their concerns became my concerns and vice versa. That's the beauty of relationship. When I had heart surgery in 2016, I had to leave LBE for a while. It was like an emergency situation. And a lot of the families were asking about me. They called me to check in. Some of them even came to the hospital to visit me. And that's a lot because, you know, a lot of these families don't have vehicles. So they had to use the transit bus system and and that's difficult. And so that just really blessed my heart. It showed the investment in relationship is long-term both ways. And that's how we can see reconciliation between people and the work of God. Yeah. When trust is built. Right. right? That's and, exactly And that's it. what it is. It's, 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 they were able to trust you yeah. because you kept showing up, yeah. you know, because you kept showing up and you were there and you showed yeah. the love of God and, and they trusted that you would be back. Exactly. Right? Yeah. And you know what? And the amazing thing is when I gained the trust of the parents, the children and the youth started listening to me a lot better. All of a sudden I carried authority 
in their life. Mm-hmm. And that that's the thing, you know, working in, in the missionary field, working in, you know, at Inner City Youth Alive for a couple of years, that was a thing, you know, building relationships with the parents, yeah. building relationships with the moms, with the dads. There's power in that. You know, we can have programs and we can bring them to program and have, you know, nights and and whatnot and the kids come. But when the parents are not involved and they're not engaged and they're not, you know, they don't have a partnership in it or an ownership in what their child is doing or who their child is with or whatnot, there's no connection, right? Mm -hmm. But when when they are connected, when they're connected to that person that is investing into their children, then... Like you said, there's authority with that, yeah. you know, and, and there's power in that relationship. Um, that's what I've experienced throughout, you know, my time working with the women in the inner city is, you know, building that relationship with the, with the women, with the parents, yeah. you know, because as a whole reconciliation or healing from trauma or generational trauma, we have to start with the whole family, right? Yeah. We have to start with- It's a with, holistic approach. Yes, yeah. it really is. It's a holistic approach. And going back to- where I was when when God found me and what he's done in my life in order for my my children's lives to change my heart had to change mm. I had to be transformed I had to see worth and value in who I was I had to love myself but first God loved me and I was able to love myself and because I was able to love myself I was able to love my children and loving my children got us out of where we were mm-hmm. it changed their lives you know, so it is a holistic approach, I think, that we need to take in ministry and in reconciliation. It's everyone. Everyone yeah. matters. I know we have the t-shirt, every child matters, but I, I really, I, I love that. I love that mm-hmm. every child matters because every child does matter. And the fact that we all were children at one point, Yeah. right? Yeah. Yeah. So being a woman in ministry, I want to talk a little bit about that. And how it is to be a woman in ministry and how it is to be a woman in kind of like, sometimes the ministry can be like a man's world, you know? In, like everything. <laughs> <laughs> I guess so. Just like the whole world, you know, <laughs> as Johan sits over there, the only man in the room right now. But anyways, so how was it to be a woman in ministry? I mean, it definitely had, it had its strengths and weaknesses. Right. Because as a woman, I feel like we can approach the homes a lot easier. We're just created that way. Right. God wired us to be relational and to be um, soft and gentle and approachable in many ways. And so I think as a woman, I definitely had an easier time doing home visits. And maybe that's why I excelled at it. Um, Whereas the men, you know, there's this big guy coming to your house and it's like, you know, I think it was a little harder for them to really break into that. So as a woman, I definitely appreciate the the easier relational aspect of it with the parents, especially, you know, and there was often, you know, other things connecting with moms as unfortunately how it was, we had mostly single moms involved, right? There's not a whole lot of fathers. There wasn't a whole lot of dads. So being a woman, I could connect with the moms a lot more. Yeah. But the challenges as being a woman was also, for me, it was my wage because I had to fundraise my entire salary. And somehow some of my male coworkers were able to juggle a part-time job or flip a house or do some kind of work 
that would bring extra income into their family. The moment I did it, I was chastised to like, why are you working an extra job? You're, you come back to work fatigued, not ready for the week. You know, I mean, I was selling Pamper Chef or doing respite or doing other jobs just to kind of help me financially. And it was like not supported. Yet the men were doing it and there was no problem. Mm. But I'm like, I can't just live off of $500 biweekly. I need to have a better income. So that I found was challenging. Just sometimes I also saw double standards. What was allowed for the women and what wasn't allowed. Or I should say what was allowed for the men and not for the women, you know. I'm I'm not able to think of right now like specific example, but I do... I do remember feeling like that's not quite fair. Mm. Yeah. I think I've, I've felt that a couple of times mm-hmm. as well, you know, um, having, you know, been in the ministry for some years now and primarily always being almost the only woman, mm-hmm. you know, I sat on a board with all men. I was the only woman. Mm. Um, I was an associate pastor of a fellowship. I was the only woman that was a pastor. I, I worked at inner city youth alive and on the community ministry team. I was the only woman for a while. Wow. You know, so I've had those challenges. I've come up to, you know, the challenges of just being a woman in ministry. And we had a conversation at the beginning of summer about this and about how you felt that mentorship was valuable, would have been valuable in Mm. your life. And you reached out to me and you asked me to, to be your mentor. And throughout the time, there was a lot of things going on right, and, and whatnot, but it, it stayed in my heart. Aww. You know, it stayed in my heart because I, I see the value of women in ministry. I see the value of mentors because I had a great mentor. Mm-hmm. My mentor was Karen Jolly at ICYA and, and she mentored me. She cared for me. She prayed for me. She taught me a lot of the things that I didn't know about ministry. And when I couldn't go into a room and and talk to all the men that I worked with about how I was feeling, because in some cases it right. makes you feel weak or vulnerable or uh, you don't want to paint this perception of, you know, yeah. of anything else. So being able to have that person to go and talk to, have that person to explain, this is how I feel. And her being a woman and knowing, you know, kind of, because she's in ministry too, so she's felt those things as well, right? Yeah. And being able to just trust another voice that has experience and that can be an example. I say all that to say that I feel that in ministry, in the work that we do as women, I feel that there is a big need for mentors. There's a big need for women mentors to mentor and to just be in relationship, be in relationship with, you know, other women in ministry. What do you think about that? Oh, completely, completely. Because sometimes, and actually you just triggered a thought thinking, you know, sometimes there wasn't room given for us as women to express our feelings. You know, it was just like, move on to the next event, move on to the next thing. All your feelings are too big. So deal with it. Yeah. (laughs) And I think a mentorship would have really allowed a lot of room for those feelings to be expressed and not compressed. And for it to give room, okay, God, now how can I use this to go out and bless and encourage and take the time to hear other people's feelings and their heart? You know, and sometimes, unfortunately at LBE, there was one season where it was like thing after thing, you know, like we had a couple of funerals for suicides and families being broken apart and kids moving into CFS and 
a house fire and and there was just it was like heaviness after heaviness after heaviness and i remember thinking god like where are you in this season where are you for these families like i don't understand there's there was just so much heaviness and you know um on my route there was a stabbing of a little boy this was several years ago i feel like he was like only 4 years old and it just like really shook me because i thought god here we are being faithful showing up and there's still so much violence and there's still so much devastation there's still so much brokenness and i took all those feelings on mm-hmm. you know and i didn't have someone to kind of connect with or process that with like i'm very thankful i was a part of um a glow international now known as a glow international so i've had some mentors through that ministry uh and and i'm really thankful i have amazing christian best friends that we get together once a month and pray together and like seek god's heart together and so that really helped me at times of those like really heavy things but you know having somebody to connect with would have been really helpful and not just dismissing it like there's always something more to do yeah because i th- i feel like our well-being as missionaries, our well-being as people that 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 pour into a community is very important too. Yeah. You know, so if we if we don't have anything in us to pour out, that's so you know, true. then what are we giving back, right? What are we giving I call, back? I call it regurgitation. Yeah. Yeah. If we're not filling up, then we just regurgitate and there's no life in that. Mm-hmm. Right? It's the overflow from the Holy Spirit. The overflow is where people get life. So if, like you said, if we're, if we're not filling up ourselves, then we're just empty vessels. Like we're, we're really not giving much Yeah. and it's not changing people. It's not changing lives. Like having time just to, even having time to step away as a woman in ministry, sometimes I felt that was a struggle. Like saying, Hey, I just need a day today. Call it a mental health day. Call it a rest day. I don't know what you want to call it, but like, I just need a day to step away and just be alone and be with the Lord. You know, and sometimes they were granted, but not often, not often enough, I should say, you know, but that's important for us to rest also, because when you have so many things that you're juggling and so many people you're influencing and talking to and absorbing their trauma and their crisis and their emotions. It's hard to know how to process all of that. Yeah. When I joined Inner City Youth Alive, it was my first missionary position. You know, I came from one way of doing doing ministry and I, I was thrown into missionary and I didn't know. <laughs> And, and so for the first couple of years, I took on everything. Right. I took everything on. I carried it and it burnt me out. Yeah. It burnt me out because the people that you invest in, you love them. Yeah. You know, you have compassion for them. When they struggle, you struggle. When they cry, you cry. Mm. I don't know. For me, I wasn't able to just be a robot. You know, I wore my feelings on my sleeve with them. You know, I allowed them in. I invited them into my world. I went into their world and they became friends, you know, family. They became, you know, so when trauma would come up or when crisis would happen or, you know, when something would happen, 
I would carry that. And yeah. it, it gets hard to carry that when you don't have no filter to release it. Yeah. But, you know, being there and having Karen there for the first two years of, of me being at Inner City Youth Alive, I had that outlet. So that's how, what, why I know that, you know, having a mentorship or having someone you can trust is very valuable for women in ministry. Mm-hmm. And just someone you can just be real with, someone yeah. you can be honest with, someone you can say, you know what, I'm feeling a little weak today. I need a mental health day. I need to take a rest. Mm-hmm. I need to go and spend some time with my family. I've been go, go, go. And my family's on the back burner. You know, most times my family was on the back burner for me. Yeah. And, you know, it came to a point where it kind of all crashed mm. and God really had to slow me down and yep. put me into that that season of of rest and that season of of just being still and to break me down, to build me back right. up. <laughs> Yep. Yeah, but since since our conversation a couple months ago before before our during the summer, that's just been on my heart like how valuable that would be to start to mentor women in ministry. I think it's needed. Yes. And I feel that God is raising up women that have mentored. For me, I can see the different levels of mentorship. So when I became a missionary, I saw that I would I was mentoring women from the community. Right. You know, and I believe you've you've done that mm-hmm. too, right? You've mentored the young women, you've mentored the mothers, you've mentored, you know, you were that mentor for that for the community. I was as well. And I think in this season he's raising up some women that have gone through a process that he's he's pulled back and pulled down to raise back up for a purpose. Yeah. Yeah. So, so it's that is beautiful. I would think that would have a lot of value. Yeah. There's a there's a vision for that. I know God is working something out. So <laughs> well, I just mentioned that you uh, mentored a lot of of the young women and the mothers in the community. Um, what were some of the things that you came up to a lot? Like you said, there was a lot of single mothers, but what were some of the the traumas? What were some of the things that you would see repeatedly? Mm. I think the biggest thing that I saw it was the struggle between parents desiring to be a good parent, but yet struggling with the fact that a lot of their personal needs were never met. And so when you have gaping needs, how can you then go and fulfill the need of your child? I mean, we just briefly talked about that, right? When we're empty, how can we go and fail others? And so I saw a lot of neglect, not because these moms did not love their children with all their heart. I saw there was a lot of love. I mean, one of my favorite things in the First Nation culture is when moms say, my boy, my girl. (laughs) I mean, I want to adopt that because I just think that's so precious. You're calling it your mind, you know? That's the stating identity. My boy, come here. My girl. So there's a lot of love, but there was a lot of disconnect to connect to the children's needs to their desires, to their heart, to their big feelings. Because a lot of these parents never really had their big feelings acknowledged. So they just didn't have room or space or maturity to be that for their kids. And that hurt my heart because I saw a lot of kids struggling. Simple things as taking care of lice. When the kid's hair is, you can see the bugs are crawling. That's neglect. It should never get to that point. And other things, you know, when they come to camp with all dirty clothes or clothes that just smell like animal urine, 
and not appropriate tire. That's neglect. And those things, it's not because they don't love their children. They just are struggling themselves. And so that for me was a challenge just to see. And it comes from a lot of these parents shared their stories with me. A lot of moms opened up and there is so much trauma. You know, a few of the mothers I talked to, their grandmothers or grandfathers were part of the residential schools. Um, Some parents, not very many of this generation, mostly the moms were like around my age, but they had their own trauma, you know, put into childcare, put into the foster system, being sexually abused, being neglected themselves, uh, physically abused. Some of them had to literally run for their lives. And I always carried that so like close to my heart when they're when they shared their stories with me, because it gave me a lot more compassion to see how they're parenting. They're doing the very best they can with what they were given to start off in life with. You know, so instead of a judgment of like, why are these kids not properly cared for? It allowed me to have a lot more compassion and grace. And then how can I come help you, girl? How can I support you? Yeah. Right. And like simple things like one mom lost her kids because she didn't have childcare. She needed to go to the doctor. She was having some blood problems and she had to sit there getting these blood transfusions. And somebody called CFS on her because she didn't have a big sister or a mom or somebody to come and take care of her kids. A simple thing like that. Like I couldn't imagine like my sister ended up with in the hospital for a bit. For a couple of days, and I was right there, taking care of her kids, helping her with her home. She has a husband to support her and take care of the household. Right, things we just take for granted: community, support, husbands, family. Some of these moms never had that, and if they do have family, it, there's so much envy or less like unspoken competition where. They'll pull each other down instead of pull each other up often. And that's not helpful. Where does that come from? That comes from a place of unworthiness, right? Like jealousy comes from a place of you know, not being satisfied with who you are, right? right? Yeah. As you're telling your story, there, it, it kind of, I had flashbacks, mm. you know, because I was a young mom. My mom passed away when I was 17 years old. I, I raised my brother. He was 11. So... We lived a very hard inner city life. Yeah. And I was a young mom. I had my first son when I was 19 years old. I didn't know how to be a mom because I wasn't mothered properly. Yeah. And so I understand that. Like, because I loved my my children. I loved them. I loved my son. I loved my daughters. I loved them. But I didn't know how. And I shared my, I shared my testimony. I shared so openly at the age of 30 after being addicted, being depressed you know, being used, used up. Like, I feel like I was used up and thrown away. I had no value to my name. No, I didn't see no worth in me. Mm-hmm. Um, I had a few children and broken relationships. You know, I was on social assistance. I was in every social service thing that you can think of. I was, yeah. you know, I, I had a part in it. And one day I just, I had enough. And I thought that, you know, my kids deserve better than this. Yeah. I'm I'm going down the same road that I was raised in and I don't know how to change it. 
I don't know how. I want to, but I don't know how. And so I think that a lot of the moms that we we work with or we work with, they're yeah. in that. They don't know how. They don't know how to, they don't yeah. know how to heal. They don't know how to deal with the trauma. They don't know how to deal with the neglect. They don't know how to deal with, um, you know, those hidden feelings, those yeah. unworthiness, you know, the ugliness, the things that we think of ourselves, you know, because the biggest attack is in the mind, right? Right. It's in our emotions. It's in our thought process. It's in, it's in what we think about ourselves. And that night I just cried out to Jesus and I just said, I don't know how to love myself Mm -hmm. and I want to be able to love myself so I can love my children, you know, and that's when he came into my life. Wow. You know, he came into my life and he taught me, but it was hard. Yeah. It was hard work. It was hard work. I wanted to go up so many, so many times when I would fail at something or when I would, you know, lash out when something would trigger me and I would lash out at someone that was trying to help me, that was trying to be my community, that was trying to be my support. I would lash out not knowing why. You know, and it just got to a point where I was like, okay, well, I lashed out on them today. So God, tell me why, you know, like it's like an inner, you have to search. You have, yeah, a hard check. You have to search. Okay. Why did, why did this trigger me? Why did that one little thing trigger me? Why did it offend me? Right. You know, why did it make me feel rejected? Mm -hmm. Why did it make me feel rejected? And then me want to push that person away. You know, we have to ask those questions, but being young and, and not being taught those things, we don't know. No. We don't know that we need to ask those questions of ourselves. Or right? we don't even have time, right? Like some of these moms are juggling seven kids by themselves. Where do they even have the space for, for a down moment to have a quiet space for themselves? And it, what I've noticed, it's survival mode. That's exactly That's it. what it is. It's, you're just surviving yeah. for the next day. And that's how I was. I lived that life. Wow. I survived. One, one, one night I was like, I made it. Did it. The next day, how am I going to survive this day? How am I going to feed my kids? How am I going to pay my bills? How am I going to do this? All you're doing is surviving. That's so exhausting. It is. It can yeah. be. Yeah. It can be. You know, but then there's hope. Yes. There's hope. And his name is Jesus. Yes. And you he, found that. I did. And he is my hope. He is my hope. And I know that he can be a hope for the community. He can be a hope for other uh, men and women that are dealing with trauma and dealing with generational curses from residential schools and mm-hmm. from day schools. My grandparents were survivors. My my parents, my uncles and aunties survivors. Wow. So, you know, sometimes I didn't even know why I was being triggered. But, you know, if you do the deep work, if you do the work and you find someone you can trust, you find a mentor, you find a friend, you find a community, you can do that work. Yeah. You know? It is possible. Yeah. And I've seen it. You know what? I saw I saw some moms do the work. What are some of the success stories that stick out to you? Maybe one or two. Well, you know, I, I'm so blessed that I still have a lot of these moms on Facebook and, and we're still friends, right? That's what relationship does. But um, one, one particular family that I officially like, I'm really proud of this mom. You know, she lost all her kids. She had seven kids. I lost them all to CFS and I was able to to connect some of the kids into a home where it was like a Christian environment, a family from my church at the time. And and I was able to maintain relationship with the mom, even though her kids were in care and be the connecting point between her kids and her while this was going on and be a support for her to go to these meetings with the agency and to go through the steps she had to do to get her kids back. And 
she, you know, went and got cleaned, got completely drug-free, sobered up, and and through just being available, and I hosted them for family visits at my home several times, took them to Tinkerbell, Tinkerbell, what is that called? Tinkertown. Tinkertown. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and just hosted like events for them to do as a family, to connect, and that the agency maybe wouldn't have had space for, right? Like, who wants to go and visit your mom in a stuffy old little room with minimal toys or ripped up books? Yeah. And then somebody watching you. How does that feel safe? How does that feel like bonds are being reconnected after the trauma of disconnection, right? So that was really amazing. And even in the summer... The mom came to camp. She came as a volunteer. She just came to cook. She like stayed with me and she just, the kids loved her. And it was like, you could see her healing. She got to be a child, you know, and some of her kids even came to camp that week. And it was just, it was so amazing to see. She really like poured into the word of God. She would like, Marianne, I just read this. Oh my gosh. Like, God's amazing. And she was like, discovering God while discovering herself. And she was able to get all her kids back and move out of manageable housing and just get a good job and be established. They ended up moving out of Manitoba. So I'm sad I didn't get to see them very often anymore, but I still stay in touch over Facebook and just connect with them. So, you know, I'm, I'm just so proud of that mom for doing the work. And there's many others, you know, that I saw go beyond the boundaries they were given of a lot of these moms probably felt stuck, right? Stuck in their circumstances, stuck in their situations. Manitoba housing, yes, it's a gift, it's an asset, but it also comes with a lot of struggles because you're in an environment where there's a lot of drugs or violence or just not safe. It's not safe, you know? And so for these moms to move out of those environments and to get stronger and to be able to do their own work so they can start being emotionally present for their children. I feel like that is a huge success. Yeah. Those are awesome stories when, when mothers, you know, do the work. Like it's, it's step-by-step, right? It doesn't come all. It's a process. Yeah, it is. It is a process. For all of us. Yeah. It is a process and, but it's attainable. It's reachable. Exactly. If If you, if you put your, your heart into it and you want change, it yeah. is possible. Mm-hmm. So is there anything that you would like our non-Indigenous listeners to, to know? Well, <laughs> when I rarely, really like started volunteering at LBE, uh, I was just volunteering with the youth at that point. I didn't even know there was a kids program. And I remember going on the bus to a youth retreat. And these two girls, you know, we're chatting with their friends in the bus, and I was trying to connect. So I guess I was saying something to connect. And this girl just straight up looks at me, and she's like, um, you're white. You're not going to get us. And then just continue to ignore me. And I was like, oh, my gosh, I think I'm going to get beat up or something. <laughs> you know, like, that was a whole different group of kids back then. You know, Fresh IE brought a whole bunch of fun youth. But I stuck the course. I didn't let that intimidate me. I mean, maybe in the moment, (laughs) but I still kept going. I kept showing up and I kept being a present and it doesn't matter the color of my skin. 
because it's the heart of Jesus mm. that's going to break that uh, assumption or that idea. And the thing is the, that love is the biggest language, right? Love is the biggest one that connects. And the one thing, too, is people can see right through you, especially young Indigenous youth and kids can look right through you if you are full of fakeness or you're not being genuine, they'll see it and they'll call you out. They are looking for real, genuine care. And the thing is, the trust is going to take time because they've had a lot of people come in and show up for five minutes and peace out when the road gets hard. So, you know, don't stop loving people, no matter who they are. And don't judge people before you get to know their heart. Yeah. Love is God's language. Yeah. <laughs> That's his language. I, I love that. I love that. Well, thank you. Thank you for coming on to Journey thank you with so Care. Much. Until next time. Bye, guys. Thanks for listening to the Journey with Care podcast, where paths connect over real-life stories and honest conversations. We hope you continue to join us on this journey of faith, reconciliation, and loving our neighbor. Be sure to like, follow, and share. Special thanks to host Melvina Gabosch, ARC podcast engineer Johan Heinrichs, and donors who help make this show possible. Journey with Care is an initiative of Care Impact, a Canadian charity dedicated to connecting and equipping the whole church across Canada to effectively journey in community with children and families in hard places. Learn how Care Impact is transforming the way churches engage with child welfare with our Care Portal technology and academy training. To support this podcast or to learn more about us, go to careimpact.ca or click the link in the show notes. We're so glad you are part of this journey with us as we journey with care, even in the messy. Until next time. Mm